If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. RCA's local inpatient and outpatient programs are founded on science and delivered with heart from an expert caring team who will inspire and guide you every step of the way. Go to rcahelp.com slash podcast for more information on how to get treatment. At RCA, you'll be in a community that builds connections and fosters support from peers and RCA's team of medical professionals. At RCA's state-of-the-art campuses, they tailor your treatment to you and also offer specialized programs for patients with history of trauma or relapse, for young adults, for adults 50-plus, for the LGBTQ community, a confidential program for first responders and service members, and a faith-based program. Recovery Centers of America accepts patients 24-7 and is in network with most insurance providers. Don't wait. Go to rcahelp.com slash podcast for help. rcahelp.com slash podcast. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to That Fact Check Show, brought to you by Boom Conversations. I'm your host, Archis, and in this special episode, we shall be discussing the situation in Kashmir and throw light on what really went down since Article 370 and 35A were abrogated and all forms of communication were shut down in the valley. We advise our listeners to use headphones or speakers for a truly immersive experience. Enjoy the show. Right now, no mobile phones are working. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, internet definitely isn't working. The only thing that's working is landline connections. Okay. Which is which aren't that common now because. Yeah, I mean landline. We don't hear about landline. Yeah, much, I know? mean like, uh, and it's tough connecting generally. Even if you're like, like I have to call up home. I'll have to call like five times before it actually connects. It will ring. It the, the voice will echo. There'll be like Probably a lot of congestion in the line. Uh, there's a calling. lot of congestion and. Uh, to be honest, they do track all more conversations yeah. that happen. So <laughs> you stick to like very basic stuff when you call home. On August 5th, 2019, India's Union Home Minister Amit Shah made an astounding announcement at the parliament. Manevar, mera vinamrata se kehna hai ki 370 hai, atankwaad ki chhanak hai, isliye 370 ka jane ka samay aa gaya hai, aur agar aaj 370 nahi jati hai, Speaking on behalf of the Modi administration, Shah proposed the abrogation of Article 370 and 35A of the Indian Constitution that gave special status to the state of Jammu and Kashmir. At the same time, he also introduced the JNK Reorganization Act that split the state of Jammu and Kashmir into two union territories. This is a story about what followed after that. Before we go any further, we thought it best to provide a little background information on the history of Article 370 and 35A. And for that, we need to talk to our fact-fight specialist, Mohammad Kudrati. 
Article 370 and Article 35A were the main provisions that carved out a special status for the state of Jammu and Kashmir within the Indian Union. It formed the basis on which Jammu and Kashmir decided to enter the Indian Union in the first place. Added to the constitution in 1949, according to Article 370, the Indian constitution would not apply to the state of Jammu and Kashmir except for Article 1 and Article 370 itself. Article 35A built on Article 370 and allowed the state of Jammu and Kashmir to define its permanent residence and to extend to them privileges not otherwise given to non-Kashmiri Indian citizens. The abrogation of Article 370 and 35A means that the state of Jammu and Kashmir will now be under common Indian law. Kashmiris will not be given any special treatment in Kashmir with the same constitution being applicable to every Indian citizen. So it is undoubtedly clear that this move was a controversial one given its history. But what really struck was the way it was done. The curfews, the communication shutdown that was imposed in the state since the day the announcement was made, and the immediate detention and house arrests of any significant Kashmiri leader that is kind of reminiscent of the emergency back in 1975 amid the uncertainty in kashmir now the three most prominent politicians from the valley mehbooba mufti uh, omar abdullah both uh, former chief ministers and sajad lone have been placed under house arrest this took place at midnight mobile internet has been uh, blocked in many places and public meetings and rallies have been banned while kashmiris were cut off from the rest of the world the rest of india was undoubtedly curious about what was going on in the valley but we had no way to find out of course we couldn't get in touch with local reporters political leaders or anyone else for that matter and this curiosity has created a huge demand for information without any supply so as usual the fake news industry got to work providing a steady stream of misinformation on kashmir to meet this demand Boom did 49 different fact checks on this matter since August 5th and September 5th and we found people from India, Pakistan and Bangladesh caught being involved in sharing misinformation on social media. And these weren't just ordinary users. There were a handful of verified handles belonging to prominent journalists, politicians, political parties and celebrities. And all this misinformation usually worked on two separate but extreme narratives. One stating that Kashmiris welcomed the change with open arms and there has been no unrest in the valley, and another that stated that there was an ongoing genocide of Kashmiris at the hands of the Indian army. Meanwhile, international news outlets like BBC, Al Jazeera and Reuters went on ground to report about ongoing protests in the valley which they claimed were met with a clampdown. by the authorities कश्मीरी लोगों को ये चीज एक्सेप्टेबल होती तो इतनी फौज लाने की जरूरत नहीं थी इन्होंने फौज लाई है जबरदस्ती हमसे की है हमारी जिंदगी देखिए आप आज देखिए हमको बनाया कैसे इन लोगों ने वे आर लिविंग लाइक वे आर लिविंग लाइक नो मैट्स आई मीन वे हैव नथिंग 
सब कुछ बंद कर दिया ये आई डोंट थिंक इट्स अ नॉर्मल लाइफ इन द मॉडर्न वर्ल्ड The government initially denied that these protests even happened and hit back at these news outlets alleging an incitement to panic. And this narrative changed back and forth, causing massive confusion among fact-checkers as to what the facts are in this whole scenario. So to get more clarity, we decided to send one of our reporters Nivedita to Srinagar to get eyes on the ground. I went on August 14th and I was there till August 23rd that is for 9 days and I was staying with a local journalist uh, they were kind enough to uh, let me give, give me a place to stay there and his family is he's in Bangalore but he's his family is back in Kashmir so they were hosting me in the plane while we were landing i usually do travel by by air and every time we are landing or you are taking off uh, they ask you to keep the window shades up they be open and not be closed but only when i was landing in at srinagar airport about half an hour 40 minutes before the plane could land uh, the air hostess and the stewards asked us to shut, put the window shades down and that was a very odd thing and they wanted it to be down till we landed unlike any other plane plane i've journey i've been on and when asked why this was being done because it's the complete opposite of what is told to us for every other plane uh, journey and she said uh, something very odd she said agar kisi ko shoot koi bahar se shoot karna chahe to usko dikhna nahi chahiye ki andar hai koi outside was where uh, you could see that uh, things are not normal as they uh, say everything was shut not a single shop was open not even a small shop like the with the tiniest of shutter was open it was all everything was shut and this was not just i i landed at uh, about 7:38 but i was i first thought maybe this is because of because it's early in the morning but then i realized that this was not the case because as i went into the city a lot of places where there were residential where there were residential areas as i was nearing the house of the host who was uh, you know giving me who was letting me stay with them uh, even everything there was closed there were no children going to school like you would expect on any um, early morning there were no uh you know school buses coming and not going nothing like that the whole city was shut nivedita stay in kashmir was definitely enlightening for all of us but if we are to go any further we have to speak to someone from kashmir someone who was there on august 5th and saw how the situation unraveled with his own eyes so i went and spoke to zahid who originates from shrinagar and has been a resident in mumbai for the past 7 to 8 months so zahid where are you from exactly uh so i'm from srinagar uh i was born in srinagar brought up in srinagar uh, and i've been out of srinagar for about like i left home 10 years after i finished university okay i went for further studies and then i came back to india i've been here for 
good 9 10 years now oh, oh where did your studies uh birmingham birmingham ah, yeah. nice so uh, how long have you been in mumbai uh about 7 8 months this is september so yeah about 7 8 months so so you were here on 5th of august then uh actually no i was in kashmir at that point of time okay you were in kashmir uh, yeah i uh, so because eid was just a couple of like a week away okay, yeah. so i taken an off and had gone two days before the whole thing started okay and uh, and this is a backdrop of when when i did actually go there it's been there were already rumors because they'd already said there's a terror alert uh, and they asked amarnath yatris to go which was unprecedented and there was a general feeling in the air that something is going to happen but because everybody kept saying nothing is happening nothing is happening it was quite clear that something is happening because there was an ex- there was extended army presence on the road there were signs that uh, something weird is happening and then all of a sudden when they announced it uh, i think initially everybody was shocked like initially everybody's like what just happened okay and i think a lot of that is still there like how did this suddenly happen <laughs> because while the idea that article 370 will be revoked has been they've been dealing with it for the last 5 years and there was this entire time a couple of years ago when there was this entire movement where the civil society in kashmir was trying to reach out to people across the political aisle and talking about why 370 is important and what the legal ramifications are uh, but around this time i think it, was, it still came as a shock even though people were kind of knew that this has always been on the bjp's agenda but i think the manner in which it uh, was run through mm-hmm. was quite surprising because uh, while india might have its faults there have always been huge fault lines about the way how we have, uh, how india has dealt with kashmir there's always been this thing that uh, it should at least seem that nobody's breaking any laws mm-hmm. because appearances are very important when it comes to kashmir you have rules you have the constitution so that uh, it kind kind of came out of blue because if you look at it from a perspective so th- this had been like in retrospect this had been in planning for a long time yeah. since when they pulled out the uh, rug from the pdp government yeah. which they propped up which then they refused to hold elections claiming that security situation is not bad security situation which they themselves uh, made untenable because uh, the whole double doctrine was put in place and people went out and there were like huge protests in south kashmir and then you claim that the situa- security situation isn't such that you can hold elections and you don't hold election you hold a assembly in abians for a year and a half yeah. and then all of a sudden you're like oh by the way because you can't hold assembly elections the parliament will replace this because constitutionally speaking i i still think it's on very weak ground mm-hmm. about how they went about it and ethically it's definitely not on a, it's very questionable yeah. because you cannot force what you think on a people that is not how a democracy works over the last 30 years militancy has taken its toll for whatever the reasons it might have worked out after a point of time people do get tired yes yeah. there's a lot of violence and you want a resolution of the issue but what they've done is essentially 
at least emotionally, taken Kashmir back to 1989 and 1990s when the militants erupted, when there was yeah. this huge anti-India wave. Mm -hmm. And uh, at least that is what my uh, what the sense I got from talking to people. I haven't met any Kashmiri who's so far told me that they're fine they're with fine it. With this, yeah. I don't know how much credibility your narrative will have if you're locking up an entire state for more than a month now. That definitely raises a lot of questions. Just going back to the 5th of August, how did you hear this announcement? Like, was the communication still on at that time? No. So what we knew on the fourth evening was, I think the for the first rumors started coming that uh, they're going to abrogate 370 towards the evening mm -hmm. of fourth, and I know the phones were working till midnight, but nothing was confirmed because that's the time when Satyapal Malik came on TV. Oh, nothing's happening. Nothing's mm -hmm. happening, which is what he's been saying to everything. Yeah. By midnight. They had shut down all mobile networks, okay, phones. So with, on midnight or between 4th and 5th? Uh, I, I, I was talking on phone at uh, around like 11.30 with a friend of mine. Uh -huh. And the phone, I think around 12-ish or something. When I finished the conversation the next morning, I think I woke up again at like 3 or 4 and there was no network. Wow. So that happened overnight. The place where we came to know was television. No, because they had also shut down uh, cable television, but yeah, so we... So it was still there on 5th, uh, when... No, no, cable television was down. We yeah. had, uh, so we have a dish, antenna uh, okay. thing, TV thing going on. So I the checked, I think NDTV or somebody was one of the first places where I saw it. Yeah. And... Uh, I think I was actually somebody who did tell a lot of people that, oh, Amit Shah went into parliament and this has happened. Mm -hmm. And they were getting to know from you as well? Like, yeah, more or less, because not... A, so you have to realize phones were down, you weren't allowed outside your house. The most you could go out was, like, go out in your neighborhood, talk to three or four people that you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of them depend on cable uh, for, like, TV or something. So... so that thing went completely down. Yeah. Like, so dish was working for everybody. There wasn't any. Like, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think if they could have shut down the satellite uh, television as well, they would have done that. Yeah, but yeah, they just, they, it's, just, it's just that the technology that they would have to block a lot of things for yeah, that. Yeah. So that is the one source of information we okay. had for about two, three weeks. But not everybody has dish TVs either. No, 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 no. Not everybody. A lot of people still use cable uh, networks. <sighs> Uh, and also, it's le it has led to this very weird situation where I'll, I've been charging up my cousins' Tata Skies, their DTHs, because everything is down. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess people are really dying for information. You know? they, they, there's also information. There's also this thing that you're essentially sitting at home 24 hours a day. Yeah. Like, uh, there's not much movement you're allowed. Mm -hmm. There's no internet. Mm -hmm. So there, there, are, there are very less avenues for not getting completely, utterly frustrated. Yeah, I mean, I don't think mainland Indians know at all what it feels like to be in that situation. I don't personally know what it's like to be in that situation at all. You know? I think Kashmiris are used to it, but uh, I've never ever seen that happen like at this level before. So. Uh, just before I left Kashmir, I was briefly working as a journalist. Uh, and I covered the 2008 protests when they happened in the Amarnath agitation, things were bad. I covered 2010 for a very brief time. 
I was in uh, 2016 when Burhan Wani was killed. I was uh, I was incidentally home at that time because that also happened to be around Eid. So this isn't the first shutdown, shutdown we have seen by the state mm-hmm. with this curfew throughout. But this has to be one of the most repressive curfews I've seen. Okay. So it's not like you can't move around. If you if you're just a couple of people in a car, you can move around the city. Uh, inter-district travel is a little bit more riskier, mm-hmm. uh, but. It has also, uh, like, shops aren't allowed to open. Uh, I was talking to a family friend who has a shop in the city center. So they are allowed to open their shops for two hours in the morning. Okay. So they'll go there at, like, seven in the morning. But by nine, everything has to be closed. Okay, so you have to buy all your groceries and everything in that time. Like, this is groceries. This is even, like, normal day-to-day things, even, like, if you have to buy. But... uh, like even if you need say you need a nail at your home you ha- have something happening at home the like apart from like the usual businesses every other business is important because there's a reason it's there yeah you cannot just say oh the gro- they have food and uh, food and water what more do you want yeah. <laughs> because essentially you're looking at a very glorified prison right now yeah. then and I don't think any Kashmiri buys this narrative. Oh, they have food. We have food stocks for three months. The thing that the government's always been pushing, we have stocks for three months. We have stocks for three Is months. Is something that's common in Kashmir to do? Uh, we already do. Like, it's it's a cold place. So, uh, Kashmiris have always had, like, we always store food in bulk because for, for the winters. Mm-hmm. So, you will have people will have more than two or three quintals of rice at home generally okay because that's just something that's a cultural thing we do so the thing is everybody has a right to livelihood everybody has a right to go out and do their business as they want and they're not allowed to do that right now yeah so it's a very it's a it's basically a huge crisis situation because so one of the things they have said is uh in a way to make 370 more palatable is that the state government employees will now have central government uh, perks, which are higher. But you're talking about just government employees and not everybody in Kashmir is a government employee, despite everybody's best efforts to get a government job. (laughs) Everywhere else. Yes. So (laughs) not everybody is this. So you have to look at what about daily wages? What about people who do manual labor, who go out there and work every single day? Are they working then? And these are the most vulnerable sections of the society. They are at the very lower end of the economic strata and you are basically stopping them from earning a livelihood. Then you talk about your businessmen, you talk about all the shopkeepers. So because this happened just before Eid, a lot of shopkeepers had bought stock for Eid because it's one of the heaviest shopping seasons of the year. None of them sold anything. Yeah. Because everything closed on, and they closed down in the run up to Eid, the last week before Eid, when the shopping is the most frantic. Yeah, so that people must have lost out a lot of money and like people, people did, people did. Uh, I was talking to, uh, I was talking to somebody in my neighborhood who mm-hmm. runs. Uh, so I think it brought like it got like goods in for like two or three lakhs just for the Eid, wow. which is and these are perishable goods because he deals uh-huh. with perishable goods, which he's essentially lost that amount of money, mm. and then. Not to mention the, that other traders are also having problem, uh, and this 
entire thing, the and the tourism sector, which the government likes to boast about that yeah. this is the lifeline of the state, this is everything in the state. Shikarawalas are obviously they're sitting down. The airplanes are going empty. Like there's no like I used to go home. All the flights used to be full. Mm-hmm. It's empty now. Like when I came back, the plane was literally empty. There were like some ten people in the plane. Uh, so I was thinking, it's been a more than a month, like one month, four days since this whole thing, you know, announcement was made by Mancha. Uh, what is the situation there right now? Like, uh, as uh, with regards to Section One Forty Four, is it a little relaxed? Can people go a little more now? See. This part I know only from my conversations with my family and my fr- uh, and my friends it's here. Just and there. To just calls, it's right? just limited to landline calls, or if once in a while somebody somebody's gone home and they come back, mm-hmm. I, it's just generally catching up with people. Okay. Uh, but from what I've been told, the situation like there is a very slight let go of the restrictions, but. That again is a very subjective thing because you think that okay, letting people on the road and going about their business is a good thing, but the shops are not shops are not being allowed to open. People don't walk away as freely as they they stop people from offering uh, namaz in the masjid, which in Kashmir is a big thing because you are essentially talking about infringing on the religious rights of people. Mm-hmm. So it's a uh, the situation more or less is pretty much the same. There are I would say like they made like point one step towards easing the restrictions, okay. but it's a much more complex thing than just letting people come out. Okay. Because you're essentially talking about not just about physical restrictions you place on place on people, but also about stamping on their democratic rights. Yeah. It to should to express themselves. Like it should give you an idea about they knew how popular this is going to be. Mm. So they put Umar Abdullah and Mahbuba Mufti under house arrest. They put every single Kashmiri leader who's always been pro-Indian mm-hmm. under house arrest. They put Sajad Loan, who who was the only leader person who came out and supported Modi. They mm-hmm. put him under house arrest. Yeah. So. This isn't just about people being on the roads yeah. and people buying things. This is about something much more deeper than just physical liberty. You're talking about whether you decide to live as a democratic society or not. Yeah. Because a lot of people don't agree with this. But And a lot of Kashmiris have already said this. In 1947, when the decision was made to stay, like when Sheikh Abdullah made a decision to stay with India, mm-hmm. Whether, however, it worked out, the i the idea was always that India is a democratic state, which will always give you your rights too. It's quite another thing. Sheikh Abdullah ended up in jail in 1953 when Nehru jailed him. Mm-hmm. But at that point of time, when you, when you're selling yourself as a democratic secular state where everybody has equal rights, mm-hmm. and then you have come to a situation where you have to even imprison people who have been well talking about your cause who who have been your support base whether that was more emotionally driven or monetarily driven but these are essentially people who supported you yeah especially in the last 30 years and you're not even sure about their loyalty it uh, tells you a lot about the way kashmiris are viewed uh, by the right wing governments yeah Seems like it. So just to wrap this up, uh, the last elections were, I think, in 2014, November, December. 
More or less, yes. So, uh, is there? Uh, I mean, I mean, we were all expecting the elections to be held with the Lok Sabha didn't happen. So, do you have any idea if there's going to be there any elections? I honestly don't know how they're planning to play it out because uh, the mainstream is one they're locked and two. A uh, lot of Kashmir, the feeling you had is like for mainstream politicians, you had one job, like yeah. protect the special status of the state, and you failed in doing that. Yeah. And with both Umar Abdullah and both Mahbuba and Mahbuba Mufti, with and this is something that goes across both sides of that aisle, is that they have failed in their responsibilities because so whenever protests happened, they always supported the state. There was a point of time when uh, when the police and the army fired upon some people who had gone to attend a militant's funeral. And Mehbooba Mufti, who has a more soft separatist uh, image which Delhi likes to promote, which, yeah. by the way, isn't true about in Kashmir. Nobody thinks of her as a soft separatist. She literally said to people, Wo log toffee lene gaye the kya? and these are the same people that once she was out of power, she tried going back to South Kashmir and like talking to, like they have zero credibility. So they just switch according to... They just switch according to what is working. The... As and when the elections happen, the biggest challenge mainstream will have is telling people that they're still credible. Yeah. And what they do will de determine their political future. But uh, honestly, given going by their track record, I think it is quite feasible that they will come to terms with it. Because they've always come to terms with it. It's not mm -hmm. like the Article 370 abrogation isn't a one-day thing. It didn't happen one day. They started eroding it in 1953, and it's been eroded over the years. Yeah. And they've failed in that duty. So I, I think they will have a tough time trying to establish their credibility in Kashmiris again. Okay, let's hope for the best. Thanks a lot, Zaid, for coming in the show. Thank you. I wish you all the best. Thank you. Thanks a lot. After coming across so much misinformation on Kashmir, speaking to Zahid was like a breath of fresh air. To have someone give you a first-person account of what happened was priceless information for us. And it also helped us realize that beyond all the political drama around Article 370, something a lot more precious was at stake here. The freedom of the people, their rights to have a mobile phone connection, their rights to have access to the internet, and the rights of those who have been detained under the Public Safety Act. With everything shut down, it can get definitely quiet. But can we call that peaceful? It is peaceful. Yes, if you measure peace by the components of everything being shut, uh, shops closed, establishments not functioning, children not playing outside, children not going to school, people not going going about their daily jobs, no autos, no public transport, no buses, and everybody just either locked in their houses or whiling their time away while roaming the streets. Yes, things are peaceful if you look at it with those measures, but uh, as you go, as the evening, as the sun sets, you realize that things are not peaceful because every day there is stone pelting happening. Every day there are people being detained. Every day there are, since August 5th, there have been detentions happening every day. 
and with no information coming in and very less information going out of Kashmir, things seem peaceful because every crack that is happening is not getting reported. To our dear listeners, thank you for sticking with us as we presented to you all the information we could get on Kashmir right now. For this episode, I'd like to thank Kritika Kare for her undying support in the production and recording. And the episode was edited by Kritika and me. And with that, we shall wrap up this episode of That Fact Check Show. But do watch out as we come back to you with another new episode on how fake news almost ruined a school. Thank you for listening. Have a good day. If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. RCA's local inpatient and outpatient programs are founded on science and delivered with heart from an expert caring team who will inspire and guide you every step of the way. Go to rcahelp.com slash podcast for more information on how to get treatment. At RCA, you'll be in a community that builds connections and fosters support from peers and RCA's team of medical professionals. At RCA's state-of-the-art campuses, they tailor your treatment to you and also offer specialized programs for patients with history of trauma or relapse, for young adults, for adults 50+, for the LGBTQ community, a confidential program for first responders and service members, and a faith-based program. Recovery Centers of America accepts patients 24-7 and is in network with most insurance providers. Don't wait. Go to rcahelp.com slash podcast for help. rcahelp.com slash podcast.